Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. As we just got done saying, welcome to the battle and our Faith in Your Recovery podcast. When you're tired of the fight, feeling defeated by the struggle and ready to throw in the towel, one piece of advice, don't do it. There's 24-7 access on your favorite podcast platform to listen to the advice, support, love, and compassion we want to share And we're certain, and we know, you haven't come this far to only come this far. We may be just what you need. Now, we don't have all the answers. We don't even have all the questions. However, after nearly nine years of touching, changing, and saving lives, we believe we can impact yours. Because of your support, encouragement, and involvement, we're now over 100 weekly episodes of Faith in Your Recovery. More than once, we've been ranked in the top 100 of all not-for-profit podcasts in the United States. We've been as high as 36, 45, 54. Today, September, or excuse me, it was yesterday, September 19th, 2023, we were ranked number 98 in the nation. We're pleased with that and proud. God's done a wonderful work, provided us some Great information and interviewees. These rankings are sent out by the National Podcast Ranking Organization, known as PodStatus at, I believe it's, uh, I'd have to look that up again. I failed to write it down here, but it's PodStatus.com. Check it out. Our goal is to make the top 25, and we think with your support listening involvement would do so be sure to subscribe like and share then tell a friend you have our pledge and promise that will continue to address all things recovery today our special guest is jeremy spencer welcome aboard jeremy thank you for having me hey we look forward to what you have to share go ahead introduce yourself to our listeners out there Then we'll get into your history, and before we're done here, we'll come up to where you're at today and the, you know, the godly successes you're experiencing. So tell them a little bit about Jeremy. Well, I guess uh, to begin with, I just need to state that I'm a person in recovery. Um, I'm actually a certified addictions peer recovery coach um, for the Delaware County IRACS program. Um, It stands for Integrated Reentry and Correctional Support. Um, we're, uh, been, uh, active for about a year now. It's a new pilot. Um, well, it's no longer a pilot program. We're actually called a legacy site, but we'll be training sites for every other IRACS program in the state of Indiana. So what, tell us what that means. Um, so we, we provide, um, peer support services, um, for incarcerated individuals, um, we help guide them to uh, learning new concepts, precepts, coping skills um, through evidence-based practices, 
is um, moving forward in recovery, um, learning to overcome criminal behavior. Um, we utilize groups like the Matrix Model, um, rap groups, um, several different evidence-based things um, to help provide support for an individual that's probably never had support in their life. The recovery movement has certainly changed over the years. I remember back in the day where we thought we could incarcerate the problem away, and we've come to realize we may have to incarcerate, but we can still educate and to promote and help and offer services to them while they're in there, yes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, we hope to, to create um, interventions along the way, like the past model in incarceration had usually been that somebody falls on their face and either they get it together or they don't, and they go down the road. Um, but we're hoping to provide different intervention points that hopefully they don't fall all the way down and maybe we can um, change the direction of their life before they hit that point. What does one of those intervention points look like? Well, we utilize the, the sequential intercept model. So generally every time that they come into the jail, um, we provide peer support services or offer those peer support uh, peer support services to them. Now, obviously, uh, they have to accept that, and they have the right to deny that, but most of them generally tend to, to work with us. Um, we can be an advocate for them. Um, we can give them a voice to community corrections, probation, or the courts that they might not have. Um, we can also um, really just provide support. That, that's a big thing. A lot of the times, these guys just never have anybody that, that seems to care or listen to them. This and, has to be a first for some of them uh, that have felt that sense of worthlessness that society has laid upon them, uh, such a lack of value, and then to have someone come alongside and say, hey, we're here for you, we're here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I've had a lot of guys tell me, I wish this had come along a long time ago. This is the first time I've ever heard or seen anything like this or had anybody um, come in and actually feel like they truly cared. You know, <laughs> I, I remember back to the day where you had to whisper if you had an addiction issue or a family member did. You told that in private and you had people swear they wouldn't tell anybody else that you told them that they're dealing with that in their home. Today, it's one of the things we can speak out loud, and I think that's impacting the positivity of recovery and the help can happen because we can, we can be honest about who we are and the problems we have. Well, well, absolutely. Uh, they say that you only get to keep what you got by giving it away. Um, I get it, that. It, it's very important that uh, we share our stories and um, give them hope because when they see us in the jail and know that we've uh, been through the same similar struggles, they start to believe, well, if they're capable of doing it, then I'm capable of doing it. And I believe that every one of them is capable of doing it. Um, you know, uh, it, if I didn't believe they were capable of change, then I have no business being there. Yeah. And I believe every one of them is capable of change. And the, they need somebody to, to be able to, to follow that's been there, that's, that's found um, freedom or liberation from the, the struggle of addiction. We uh, learn by example yeah, many times, and, good uh, or bad. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Okay, let's back up. You've told us a lot about where you are today professionally and how you're operating. Tell us now a little bit of your history, your story. Tell us about where your addiction began. First off, tell the folks where you're from, Jeremy. Well, I'm originally from Marion, Indiana. Um, that's where I'm born and raised. Um, I, I currently live over in Jonesboro, which is just outside of Gas City right there in that same area. Um, I've left state a few times, lived in Florida a few times, and I've been quite a few different places. But uh, it, it always seems so to bring me back here to Indiana. Jonesboro, Grant County is what you claim is home at this time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's go back early in life. Uh what was your what was your childhood like? Um, I I had a, a pretty good childhood um, in comparison to a lot of other people that I've met. I mean, I, I got a very strong uh, mother that's been such an inspiration in my life, um, and my dad. Um, but you know, I remember when it was good. Let's just put it that way between my father and my mother, um, but then my father fell prey to, to substance use and he struggled with alcohol. And, um, how old were you at that time? I would probably say, um, seven, eight. Okay. And, okay. and that, that probably went on for, you know, a couple of years. Um, until it got to the point where he, uh, you know, it used to be when my father got home, my mom would send us kids to bed because um, it was getting ready to be an argument it wasn't or a fight. Be good. And you would hear hollering and screaming, sure. and um, you know things getting thrown or you know or what have you, fight going on. And uh, you know my mom valuing and having the values that she had, you know, didn't take her marriage lightly. And, and you know they'd been together for fifteen years um, before uh, my dad turned abusive towards me and it, um, that's when she said all right that's enough so how old were you when that began the abusiveness um boy that didn't last real long it, it, i mean that was a, a deal breaker for her so, so um, that wasn't something that that carried on for a long time um but it was a pretty bad incident where uh um he struck me, and you know, I was. Uh, my mom had put me in um, some karate classes as a kid to try and deal with my anger, because um, you know I, I don't know exactly why I was angry at that point. But uh, my um, brother, um, I was showing him some stuff, and I had actually accidentally struck him in his private parts, throwing him a kick, and you know, of course, I had to answer to dad when I got home. Um, when he got home about that, and. Uh, when he approached me about it, um, he turned around and he uh, need me in the privates, and that was, um, yeah. Uh, How old were you? Um, Ballpark. Um, maybe ten, eight, nine, ten. So I, I don't know. Right now, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know exactly what that's, age that was. That's um, okay, but that's the um, general range. Yeah, I'm probably eight a, to ten years old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Was he still into his drinking at that time? Was that a part of it as well? Actually, my mother filed for divorce the next day, um, and they uh, split up, and uh, I, was a, I was a daddy's boy. Regardless of all that, I still wanted my father in my life, and um, 
but he checked himself into Koala Center, and uh, the next day, um, when she after she had filed for divorce, and you know, he went to treatment, and um, he actually before he passed had over thirty years in sobriety. Hooray for him! Sorry yeah. for the incidents and all that took place, but hooray for him that he found that kind of uh, that kind of freedom, sobriety, and uh, recovery. Okay, right? Yeah. What what did you learn from your dad throughout all of that, Jeremy? What did that teach you? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It, um, I, I didn't really get a, a huge taste for alcohol. I mean, not that I didn't drink in my own addiction, um, but it wasn't really my bag, if if, if you would say. Um I moved more towards the the illicit drug side of of things um, because I just didn't really uh, gravitate towards that, although I did drink. Um, I guess the biggest thing I I took away from it um, that was a struggle for me was I didn't want a a split family because I seen the hurt that my father went through, like – Having lost his wife, having lost his family, sure. and, and uh, you saw the abandonment from several different angles. Right, I was well, seen the 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 loss on the family. I seen it in, in my baby sister that never knew my parents together like that when it was good, um, because she was seven, six, seven years younger than me, so she didn't, she doesn't have a recollection of them together. Yes, yes. All right, you talked about. Uh, how when you were in that eight to ten year old range, you went through that abusiveness. Then it was right away that your mom filed for divorce. The separation came about in due time. Take us to the next step. Uh, maybe those ten to fifteen, that age range. What was happening in you? Uh, well, at that point. Um I'm feeling kind of just walking in a daze because, you know, I, I love my father. And, you know, I was just kind of taken back by um, him no longer necessarily being. I don't want to say he wasn't in my life, um, but he moved out of town to find work and, you know, just trying to get his own life back together. So it was a lot of um, because my mom had went to work to support us three children. I mean, she was already working before the divorce, but uh we were kind of left a lot to our own devices, if you will. It changed the entire family <laughs> dynamics. Yes, you became responsible for yourself at a young age. Yes, absolutely. And I'll be honest with you, I, I shirked a lot of that responsibility off onto my younger brother, um, Scott, that was about a year younger than me. And he really stepped up and was there more for my, for our baby sister than probably I was. I mean, I was there, don't get me wrong, but... He took that role on. Maybe not responsibility wise. I was the one that they were helping sneak out, and then uh, and I was out running the streets doing things I shouldn't have been doing at that point. And that meant what? What were those things? Well, you know, eventually it it started out, you know, just kid stuff. Um, You know, twelve, thirteen years old, starting to smoke cigarettes. Um, coming to a place where eventually I, I started smoking marijuana um, and drinking. Um, and then, you know, that that was really kind of the, uh, I would say the ma- the majority of it was lighter things like that until um, 
I started hitting a little bit older into high school. Once I got into high school, you know, I started trying different things like LSD and um, mushrooms. Uh, it wasn't really until I graduated high school that I moved on to the harder substances. But, Which, uh, yeah, for I, you I, was what? Cocaine, uh, yeah. Initially, at that time, it was cocaine. Um, you didn't really hear of heroin or um, um, methamphetamine being around at that time. Although, I, I, I take that back. Methamphetamine was around, but it was not as prevalent as it is today. Or as popular. Uh, um, actually, I tried um, meth before I did cocaine, but cocaine was a lot easier to come by. It's, back then, you had to really know somebody that was involved with methamphetamine um, to find it. Um, uh, personally, I think the quality was uh, a lot more truer back then, too, if you knew somebody that was actually cooking it then. Um and versus what it is today. Nearly the risk with the fentanyl and car fentanyl that we have today with any drug back in the day. You you used a term, I don't remember for sure what it was, but the purity factor yeah. was higher. That doesn't make it better. Okay. <laughs> it may make it a a piece safer. Uh, it's going to destroy either way. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it was definitely, I, I'm not promoting um, the sure. substance itself. What I'm saying is the effect that it had on me physically compared to the substances out there um, at the latter part of my um, substance use. And that could have truly been a lot of it because of the earliness in my use, because I, I ended up using for 33 years. Um, 33 years. Is how long I was in addiction your, total. Your main drug of choice during that time. Um, well, what do you got? Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, I was equal opportunity. <laughs> I, um, I didn't go broken. I did it a lot. I mean, I, I, I just like to get high. Um, but I was definitely a your speed demon. Your drug was getting high. Yeah, my, my drug was uh, escaping reality. I did not want to not be high. Um, and for the most part, Majority of my life, I was high. You said that was 33 years of yeah. battling that struggle? Uh, I started using substances at 13, and I didn't stop until I was 45. Wow. So, yeah. That's a long haul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, mo most of the time, well, you know, I, and I got into dealing drugs at a, a young age. Um, that's actually where the, the cocaine use came from was uh, – I, I was with a girl, and I, I was dealing marijuana, and she made a comment like, why don't you deal something that you can make some real money on, like cocaine? And, um, you know, we kind of split up, and that's, uh, you know, next thing. And it was so weird. It's like almost like the devil was there waiting for that little comment to hit, and then the next thing I know, um, somebody's offering me methamphetamine. I try it, and then all of a sudden I find a connection for cocaine, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm dealing cocaine. During that 32, 33 years of of struggling with the addiction, how much incarceration was there? Uh, what were some of the pains, some of the losses during that time? Um, well, I was very fortunate. I, you know, I don't know if you probably heard the term prevenient grace. Yes. Uh, um, I, I, there was definitely somebody looking out for me um, through a, a majority of my life. Um, I didn't catch any um, real dealing charges during the time that I was dealing. 
Um, and but it, but the relationship damages that were happening, um, not being um, the employee that I should have been, you know, as as I try and grow into these things that a lot of people would call themselves a, a functioning addict. Um, I, I don't even really like the term addict. Um, I, like, I prefer person in recovery. I think the stigmatizing that comes along with the term addict, I, I'm really and, try to be choosing on what words I use nowadays. And I understand that, and I get where you're coming from. Still, we're at that point where some people don't know how you draw the line between the two. So either terms welcome here and you choose to say as you please. Don't have an issue with that at all. But uh, whether you're an addict or somebody in recovery or, you know, wherever you're at on that continuum, You've got the losses you just talked about there. What was the, what was one of the darkest moments for you during that struggle with addiction? Um, my my brother, when I got out into to drug court, um, my, I ended up moving in with my brother. Um, <laughs> he really reminds me um, scripturally of the older brother or actually even the father and the prodigal son story. I was definitely a, a prodigal uh, as far as, you know, going and squandering um, where he was more of the one that, that stayed true, did the the right things kept for his, his head family. on kept, straight, kept his head on straight. Um, not that he didn't get into some stuff with me, but for he, he definitely, um, he had a child at a young age. I didn't have my child till I was 30. So, um, that kind of pulled us a little bit more. I think pulled him in rain sooner. Um, <laughs> but he said, Jeremy, I, ne- I never saw you as an addict. I saw you as somebody that liked to party, which was true until it wasn't. And somewhere along the line, I crossed a line that I didn't see. Um, and, and for me, that line was when I started um, using intravenously. Um, when I started using heroin, um, I, I'd injured myself and it's a common story that you hear a lot of people getting prescribed pain pills. Um, I, I'd bulged two discs in my back. Um, this led to them giving me pain pills. Uh, the girl I was with at the time, she got a plethora of pain pills from where she had had her leg snapped and I paid $12 for all of it. Um, I had, you know, I don't really want to go into war stories, but just a, a multitude of as many pain pills as I wanted. Um, well, then that ended up drying up, and then all of a sudden heroin's around. And uh, it was cheaper. It lasted longer. Um, Boy, we've heard this story yeah, more than I'm, sure, I'm yeah. not diminishing yours. No, please, absolutely. But this is the way it was. Oh, absolutely. Uh, things have changed, makes it much more difficult. <laughs> Uh, still illegal, but regardless, please go ahead. Well, well, for me at that time when, um, you know, I, I snorted for um, about a year. Um, and, and not that it, it still wasn't causing me problems at that time, the, the physical addiction to it or, or what have you. But I was kind of at the beginning of that downward spiral because, to be honest, even in my addiction, I had ascended to, to where I had quite a bit of good things. I'd built something out of life. Um, I had a a well-paying job. I was a a journeyman roofer. Um, 
you know, uh, made, I'd done pretty well for myself, even in, um, while being, um, addicted to substances, um, was a provider for my family. Um, but then that, it became you a, you were that functioning addict. addict. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then it, it came to the point where, um, I started using the needle. Um, when I started using intravenously, um, it's like a whole nother addiction of its own. Uh, and, um, at that point I no longer had control of it. It had absolute control over me. And I, I and I would say it actually probably had control of me earlier than that. I just wasn't seeing enough of the ramification ramifications of it. Um, to really identify it and pull back on from our it. intro, there was an individual, a gal. It's actually Monica Grayson made the comment. I swore I would never do that until they took my medication away. Then I started shooting up in no time. That's not the exact quote, but kind of like you're saying there. You knew there was a line between snorting and shooting up. And when you cross that line, I think it was maybe you had the recognition factor of I've hit the bottom as far as using, not the bottom in the sense of ready to spring forward or upward, but that that took the final wind out of yourself, your sail, and you recognize, wow. This has got a hold. So, say it was 33 years. What was the lights on moment? I'm sure your mom's included in this. I know Christ <laughs> is. Go ahead and share the lights on moment to where you recognized and realized you deserve more than where you're at, and only you can make it happen. Now, obviously, it takes God's strength, but I've often said, God may provide the farm. He'll never drive your tractor. You had to do the work. Tell us about that. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think where to start, because like I said, with it being 33 years, there's so much that happened uh, along the way, um, traumas to my family. Um, I had a brother, a stepbrother that committed suicide um, early on, and, and that was a, another hard thing for my family. How old were you? Um, I was in probably mid to not, I wasn't quite 30, but probably 27, 28. I was 23 uh, years old when my mom took her life. Oh, wow. And so I can, you know, I can relate to some of what you're saying there. Go ahead. All right. Um so that that was a, a real stressful thing, and to be honest with you, it was um, <laughs> he, uh, me, and him were a lot more similar as far as addictive wise in our behaviors than than me and my blood brother, because my blood brother was the one that was more responsible. Your blood brother Scott. Yeah. Yes. And, okay. And um, me and Chris were the type that. Whenever we tried a new substance, it was like, dude, you got to try this. And we just kind of enabled each other or pushed each other um, until, you know, I really don't want to talk too much on on my stepbrother. Um, no. On, on that on that subject, just as far as out of respect for his daughter. And, sure. Um, no, but his his loss his, his, certainly his, impacted. There was there was a lot of things. I, I personally now I believe that he bought um, 
he bought into the lie that the devil sold him that his life wasn't worth living and that everybody around around him was better off without him here. So what made you think your life was worth living? Um, well, I'll be honest with you. I was very angry with my brother because I was thinking, dude, if I got to be here, you got to be here and you're supposed to be here with me. So um, I was mad at him. There was a lot of anger inside. I was angry at my dad for um, letting alcohol come between him and my mom. I was angry for the fact that um, I had to deal with, uh, what do you call it, um, a stepdad and all that type of stuff being in my life because uh, my dad not— The abandonment that took yeah, place. Um, you know, having to figure out how to be a man without a man being there. Um, luckily, I got a strong mother that um, didn't play. <laughs> she she stood her ground, even though she's all five foot two. She hey. She's a very strong, independent woman, and when she spoke, uh, you knew when to listen. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, you know, she— uh, but that point that it came to, Randy, is, uh, you know, I came to a point in my addiction where, you know, I had custody of my son. At the, and, um, you know, I didn't want my son to experience not having his father in his life. And I didn't want him to know what it was to be from a broken family. And it broke my heart for that to happen to him. But when his mom said that she wanted to leave... I couldn't stop her, you know, and, but I, I was going to make sure that I was going to be part of his life and, and be, especially in the formative years. And, and, um, luckily she afforded me that opportunity. Um, so I, I became a father, uh, 11 months. Well, he was 11 months old when I became a single parent, um, raising my son on my own. And, I'll be honest with you, I never felt better about myself than that period of time from the time that he was 11 months old until right before he turned five. And then I got into a, a toxic relationship, which enabled me to slip back into my substance use. Um, I had the respect of others that saw what I was doing because um, it was all on my shoulders at that point. I was going to work. I was feeding him. I was taking care of him. And luckily I had a blessing of people that assisted me in that process. But I was all about being the father that I didn't have. Yeah. Um, no, and, and that's where a lot of um, guilt and anger and frustration come in that I kind of fell into that same trap. You know, all that I didn't want to be, I became, you know, it reminds me like, Paul, why do I do these things that I don't want to do? Uh, yeah, yeah. I love just... <laughs> those words of Paul. Yeah. And uh, it's, it just deals with, I don't want to do that, but it's the thing I always do. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could get away from this, but I keep going back to it. Absolutely. And uh, that, well, that it, parallels a lot of life. Go it, on. It, it's just like a, a dog coming back to his vomit because, and, earlier parts of my life, I could, in a, I could identify like, all right, you're slipping here. You need to pull it back together. And I would back away from the, the addiction. I would move back to staying focused on my priorities and my values. But just like a dog coming back to his vomit, when I thought that I was okay, when I was doing well enough, I would go back to using those substances again. Here's what and I, every time I went back to him, I fell just a little bit farther and a little bit farther. Here's what I'm picturing beyond your visual there that you just gave us. You're taking three steps toward the drug, 
but then you're only taking two steps back away from it. You kept mm. it within range to reach in your own head and heart instead of turning around and walking the other One way. way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Either way. So that lights on moment. That that lights on moment. <laughs> I, yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to, to um, I, I can see it now. Um, so so I, right before I got incarcerated, because, um, you know, I believe nobody comes to the Father without the Father calling them. And, and it wasn't any man or individual that brought me to Christ. It was Holy Spirit that brought me to Christ. Um, I, I was, I had been in uh, intravenous, uh, methamphetamine, um, psychosis, and heroin. Um, I was a speedballer. I like to shoot heroin and methamphetamine together, um, and I was doing quite a bit of it, enough to kill most people um, three to four times a day. And You're I've been doing that. that prevenient grace yeah, there, the, okay. um, Yeah. Uh, it kept you alive. I got to the point where my, my son said he wanted to go live with his mom, and she said she was taking him, and I knew there wasn't really nothing she could do, but I knew he was better off with her than he was with me. How old was he? He was 13 at this okay. point, and, okay. and I overdosed three times that week because I just didn't feel like I had nothing left to live for, and, and that still didn't stop me. This carried on for a few more years um, to the point where I ended up in, in a hospital bed um, with my face swollen with infection. I looked like a hammerhead shark. I mean, the whole right side of my face was just swollen out unbelievably. Within five hours, my, my face swole out like that. And, you know, I knew I had to go to the hospital. Um, and, you know, I was battling a MRSA infection. Um, I hadn't been several times to the hospital to try and overcome this infection, but it just, I could never fully get rid of it. Um, now, they had me on IV antibiotics for four days. Um, and then all of a sudden I got four doctors standing over me and I'm like, what's going on here? And they're like, well, we're trying to figure out why your uh, body's not overcoming this infection. And I'm like, well, it's MRSA. And they said, no, we've killed off the MRSA. It's your immune system is low. And I'm like, well, what could be causing that? Um, well, they said it could be several things. It could be hepatitis C, it could be HIV. And immediately I thought that one of the guys that I used to have shoot me up, um, it switched to rig or something or other because he had both of them. And all I could think of was like, I'm going to kill this guy when I get out of here. And, um, you know, it, it was a scary five hours waiting for that test to come back. And luckily they both came back negatively. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how, because it wasn't like I was the safest person doing this. Um, but with that being said, uh, you know, I, at that point, I admitted to being an intravenous user to the doctor, and he said, well, that's what's going on. How long have you been using? I admitted to him that I've been using intravenously for 10 years. And um, he said, well, what happens is when you use intravenously that long, it lowers your immune system. And my body didn't have enough immune system left to overcome the infection. And he gave me another round of antibiotics and a prescription for antibiotics and sent me on my way, but he told me, um, son, if you don't change your life style, you're going to die. Um, it's only a matter of time. And you think that would have been enough to scare me away from it, but all I could think about was getting home and getting another getting shot. High. 
Um, I hadn't had one in four days and my mom had heard what the doctor said. And, <laughs> you know, she's, I remember getting hateful with her. Um, because she's telling me about myself and how I need to change my life and, you know, how Everything I'm going to die. you need to hear, nothing you want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, I kind of say some stuff. I don't remember what I said, but, um, you know, get out of the car and I go inside so I can get high. And she told me later that uh, she prayed to the Lord. She said, Lord, um, I just saw the devil in him and he can't have him. Um, I gave him to you the day he was born, and I just pray that you intercede. I don't care if you got to put him in jail, what you got to do, but you, you stop this. Um, that he can't have him. And two days later, I was in jail, and you think I'd be like, "Mama, quit praying," <laughs> but it saved my life. Um, when I, you know, and it wasn't a right away thing. Um. November 15th of 2018, about 10 days after my birthday, was when I got arrested. And uh, all I had to do was walk away. But something inside of me, just my pride, um, you know, uh, F the police. Um, it, I just, you know, I don't know what it was, but it's just something in me was not willing to walk away. Um, <laughs> I can't help but think about how comical it must have been, the cop chasing me down. Um, as I took off running from him because he pulled a syringe out of my pocket that was loaded with methamphetamine. And here I am shooting, you know, heroin and meth for 10 years, skinny as a rail, just taking off running from him. And him being a law enforcement officer that chases people for a living, you know, grabbed me and throwing me to the ground. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, uh, threw a couple, uh, threw a three piece on me and need me in the side. And, uh, you know, if I had it today, I would shake his hand and tell him, thank you for saving my life. Yes. Um, because I know that I'd either be dead in a ditch or I would be in prison for murder. Because um, I had guns. I had, you know, I was at a point in my addiction where I was seeing creatures under my bed um, and in my attic. Um, I was hearing voices. Um, I would accost people when I thought that... Um, they were trying to be sneaky, and then um, after I would uh, call somebody, everybody else is like, what's the matter with you? Why'd you flip out on this person? I'm like, well, this is what was going on, and then they're telling me, no, this isn't what was going on, and I'm like, so now I'm at a point where I'm questioning my own thoughts and my own sanity. Yes. Uh, and um, I'm asking myself if if I'm going crazy, and the, the only reason that I, and I, I take that back, I don't like the word crazy, if um, I'm losing my sanity um, was the fact that I was asking myself, <laughs> am I going insane? Because people that um, are insane don't know that they are. Um, so that was the only thread that I believe was um, allowed to hold me on. And, and uh, it, it just came to a point where, um, you know, I, I could not stand who I was. I could not stand the father that I'd became, I mean, I would still see my son, but I, 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 I was just so ashamed of who I was. Um, and, and I wanted to quit. I so wanted to quit, but I just did not have it in Where me. Where are to you put now in your down. relationship with your son? Oh, we, we have a, a, a great relationship. Um, it's a healed relationship. Awesome. Um, 
you know, that was a big motivator for me while I was incarcerated. Um, there was a man, a jail chaplain named Tom South, um, that was there. I did a program called the Manhood Program, and uh, he told me, Jeremy, I'm going to encourage you to be selfish with your recovery. And it's not any one thing that you're going to do that's going to make right with your son. It's going to be um, getting out and making that one right decision to the next right decision. The, the next the, right step yeah. has to be followed by the next right step. All right, Jeremy, we're we're getting near the end here, so uh, I have two questions. Question number one, give it about a 30-second answer. What is the advice you'd like to give to anybody listening out there who's in the throes of addiction, fighting their own battle? Um, trust in the process. Uh, um, I, I guess... Uh, for me, mine mine was such a, a faith based centered thing. Um, when I came to know Christ inside and chose to believe, um, I, I beheld what the Word said. Uh, you know, I started reading the Scriptures once I was incarcerated. Um, I started to believe what the scriptures said about me and who he said I was as a son of God. Read, apply. <laughs> and as I began to believe it, I became it. And when I became a son, my behavior changed because I no longer wanted to be the person that I used to be. Okay. All right. Now, final question. Name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What does that term mean to you? Um, <laughs> faith and recovery. So for, for me, my, my recovery is solely based around my faith. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, everything. And that's a godly me. faith. Yeah, you're absolutely. About. Yeah. Godly faith. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I know that I know that I know that I know that Jesus is is my Lord and Savior, that he got on that cross and he died for me. And I can't think about, um, Damon Thompson calls it the long, dark night of the soul. My long, dark night of the soul lasted for 10 years um, to where I couldn't stand myself. I hated myself. But when he pulled me out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, and I felt the love, the forgiveness, the overwhelming um, embrace um, that only uh, that father can give you. Um, that's when everything shifted and changed for me. And ever since I've kept my eyes focused on him and held on to my faith, um, it doesn't matter what's came at me. I've lost my stepsister to suicide since I've been in recovery. I've lost my brother to COVID three months later. Uh, my mom had a heart attack. My stepdad's had his fourth bout with mouth cancer. Um, you know, I had a almost had a heart attack. And whether we have addiction background involvement or anything, the scriptures say life will have troubles. Uh, It happens. The deal is, how are we going to deal with it? Thank you. Thank you for your sharing, your transparency, for opening up today, uh, for the advice that you've given. Thank you for the work that you do in the recovery community. Please keep that up. We need you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Folks, we're glad you were tuned in with us today. Be sure to 
listen to our podcasts. They break each Friday. Faith in your recovery. Apple, Spotify, any of the platforms. Listen, like, subscribe, get involved. Send us a question and podcast at ablbh.com. Uh, give us a call. Give us a contact. We're here for you, but we want to be here with you. So join in. Thanks again. God bless. Stay in the battle. Amen.